listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. And welcome to episode 22 of Footprints on Our Hearts. I just have a very short intro today because I don't really have anything interesting to say <laughs> other than it's pretty scorching outside. But, you know, I'm not complaining because we've had a couple of weeks of rain and I think all of us were thinking, where has summer gone? So it's kind of nice that it's come back and popped back up to say hello. Today, I have an interview with Nick about his daughter, Evelyn, who was stillborn in 2016. We talk about Evelyn, about how they broke the news of her death to their son, how Nick struggled to go back to work just a couple of weeks after Evelyn's death. I think this is this is something that we are both self-employed and this is something I struggled with as well. Um, but I think particularly for fathers, there is that uh, more immediate pressure to go back to work. Um, you know, when you have um, a child who's stillborn um, after that 24-week period where the mum qualifies for maternity leave. Um, we also talk about his role in setting up Sands United Solent and how that's helped to bring grieving dads together. And um, one thing which I particularly wanted to talk to him about was um, his experience of running the Great South Run with an empty pushchair, which had Evelyn's name in it. And yeah, we talk a bit about how emotional that was for him it was emotionally challenging as well as physically challenging and some of the reaction he got from spectators along the way to this empty pushchair which he had with him so I hope you enjoy the interview as always if you've got suggestions for guests for the podcast or you'd like to come on and talk about your experience please do get in touch with me you can contact me on instagram twitter or by email my email address is allison at footprints on our hearts um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the podcast and have a kind and gentle weekend. Today, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by Nick Lang, who describes himself as a lucky father of three. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks for coming on. And could you just start by introducing yourself and your family? Yeah, sure. So my name's Nick. Um, my wife is Lindsay. Um, we have a nearly eight-year-old called Yayan. Um, Evelyn would have been four this coming November. Um, and our youngest daughter is Iola, and she is three in November. Fantastic. And we're obviously going to be talking a lot about Evelyn today. Um, she's your middle child. Before her, you know, before she was sadly stillborn, did you have any experience or much awareness of baby loss before her pregnancy? Nothing, really. Nothing at all. Um, you know, we were probably really naive with Yayan's pregnancy. Um, very laid back. Um, 
if there was a little lack of movement, we would see how it went and then go to the doctors and that kind of stuff. But we were very, very blasé about it, very unaware that this world existed. Um, and, you know, even even with Evelyn, really, um, she was a very normal pregnancy, probably arguably even more normal than our pregnancy with the iron, really. Um, and... You know, you get to you get to your scan dates, and you get to inverted brackets the safe weeks, and they say, oh, you know, you've just passed this safe zone, and not really made aware. And I understand, you know, they don't want to say to you, you know, do you understand the risk of of your baby dying? Um, but we had no idea whatsoever, and and even right at the end, you know, when uh, we had a lack of movement, I came home from work, and and my wife said. You know, I've had a bit of lack of movement today, and typically I kind of just said, "Oh, I'm sure it's fine." You know, it's one of them things that the nurse, the, the midwives would probably advise you just lay down and have some orange juice, etc. Um, so, no, absolutely no idea that that this happens, um, but certainly not as frequent as it as it does happen to people, sadly. Yeah, and I guess because it was your second pregnancy as well, your second child, and um, you maybe didn't have some of those kind of first pregnancy nerves or, you know, you maybe relaxed a bit more into parenthood and you kind of mm. knew what you were expecting and, you know, you were expecting. Did you did you find out whether um, Evelyn was a boy or a girl before yeah. she was born? Yeah, we did. Um, and, we, and we did with the iron as well. And, um, you know, we just wanted to kind of plan as best as possible. Um, and obviously how it affects future pregnancies, then that, you know, that's, that changes everything again, really. And we've been really lucky. We've been very, very, very fortunate to go on and, and have Iola. Um, but obviously those who have had pregnancy after loss realizes that it comes with its own kind of challenges and fears. And, and suddenly you're aware of a world that you didn't realize existed before. Mm. And so I think Lindsay had sort of found that she'd had a few less movements from Evelyn during the day or overnight, and you went in to get that checked out. How how are you feeling sort of going into the hospital to get those checks done? Um, t- to be really honest, when we were driving, we, 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 we went to bed early that night. Um, neither of us you know it wasn't sitting right with us but we would we were worried but just thought everything would be okay um and we went to the hospital in the end about two o'clock in the morning and we don't live far we live about 10 minutes drive and um i just remember thinking everything's going to be fine everything's got to be fine everything's everything will be fine um and we got to the hospital obviously it was very quiet um they saw to us almost instantly actually um led us into a room where they normally do like the ctgs and stuff like that put a doppler on lynn straight away and and didn't couldn't pick up anything and even at that point we were thinking oh, nah, everything's going to be all right um and then they brought in a a senior um doctor or something i can't remember what his position was but he wired lynn's up and really quickly he he kind of said look at and it sounds really harsh but 
it, it was actually one of the kindest things he could have done to us. He said, look, I, w- I want to leave you with n- no uncertainty that sadly your baby's died. Um, so, you know, straight away, okay, our world fa- fell apart at that moment, but mm-hmm. there wasn't, we weren't left with that kind of like, oh, well, let's sit around and hope he's wrong kind of thing because he was so adamant, um, which was really difficult to hear. But I think that clarity is important, isn't it? And I think, I don't, I don't know if that's something in the, the training they get, which is, you know, you, you need to be really 100% clear with parents because it's such a shock as it is and you're, and you're in denial. And I've talked with many mothers actually about their experiences of that moment when you hear the doctor say those words. As a father, what was that moment like for you? Um, it was, um, you know, I was seeing my wife cry in a way that I'd never, I'd never witnessed before, you know, I'd never... <clears throat> I'd never heard somebody cry like that before. And we see it on the news, don't we? We see it when we watch, you know, um, charity appeals like that, and we see the the mums crying for their babies, and you can almost feel it. Um, But, you know, we're so removed from it. But that was my my first kind of emotion, I guess, was that Lynn's was in absolute bits, and there was very little I could do. Um, so that, that, that was hard. That was, that was the hardest bit. I think, I think seeing somebody you love in, in so much pain and heartache and not being able to do anything. Um, and, and that was my first thought really, just to kind of care for Lynn's and, and, and try and just be there for her. Um, and then obviously as the hours go by then you you kind of get time to process this, process it a little bit more and um it's it's impossible really i think it's 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 one of them it's one of them moments that literally changes your life forever and i've said this i've said this to many people who i've spoken to over the years that you know arguably iola's um evelyn's made me a better person probably more so than my, my two living children have so what happened after you'd found out that she died what happened next um so they led us through to um again we, we were fortunate I, in under in the under the circumstances we were fortunate they they took us straight through to a bereavement suite um and in qa hospital um, in Hampshire, it's um, it's the Nightingale Suite, and it's a completely secluded part of the ward. Um, it's private to you. It's not on the Labour ward. <clears throat> um, and they took us straight through to there, um, and we were we were cared for by two amazing midwives um, throughout our whole time there. Um, so it wasn't that kind of difficulty of of having to have the same conversation with different people all the time. But um, they were very precise in kind of guiding us through those first moments and, and explaining to us what would be happening. And I think one of the things that came to us as a, as a huge shock, and, and I think it's something that comes to a, a lot of people as a big shock, is 
you've then obviously got to give birth. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know what we thought, really, but... Um, you just think there's going to be this magic wand, don't you? Yeah. Just, yeah. just something happens yeah. and yeah. the baby comes out of you, yeah. And um, I remember saying to the midwives... Um, Kelly was our midwife, and uh, I remember saying to her, "You know, no, like we can't, like, we can't, like we can't, like we have. She has to have a C-section." And you know, they talked us, they explained the whole process of it in terms of recovery and all of the risks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they talked us through all of that. Um, and then, you know, we understood and were led by them, and Linz was induced. <coughs> um, and 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 give birth to to Evelyn and all all Lynn's desperately wanted was was a natural birth. Um, she had a, a, an emergency C-section with with the iron, um, and all she wanted was was a natural birth. And um, and Evelyn gave her that, so that's really special. So yeah, yeah. And and how was your experience of that birth? Because um obviously you know the mother's there and Lindsay's there kind of I guess doing the hard work and and all you can do is really support her through that whilst knowing that you're not going to be getting you know your daughter's not going to be living and breathing at the end of it what what were you kind of going through during that those hours while she was laboring and giving birth so yeah I just remember Kelly um Kelly had been with us pretty much all day and um she said look i'm, I'm not going to leave we're really close here um and and her colleague mary took over and i just remember saying to kelly she kelly kept on checking on me and, and i kept on saying I, and i felt terrible saying it but i i didn't think i could see evelyn um, we didn't know her name at the time but i didn't think i could see her and um you know, I'm seeing Lynn's going through what she's going through, and I felt terrible because I'm thinking, I haven't even got strength to to look at my own daughter. And um, the birth was really quick. Um, from it was only a cu- couple of hours, maybe, from Lynn's feeling contra- contractions. Um, but then when when Evelyn came out, I did see her, and she was just beautiful. Um, just your little girl. Yeah, it was just again surreal, really. Like seeing, you know, she was fully formed. She was a baby. She was like, she was like a proper baby. Um, and obviously, she was obviously not moving. And but just mm-hmm. the colour, and I'll never forget, like looking at her nails, how dark they were. Um. So yeah, just really hard. Like again, just throughout the whole process, trying to keep myself together for Lynn's. She was she was going through everything, you know, and mm. yeah, it's just impossible, really. And I do think, gosh, I mean, I think there are always things you look back on and wish you could have changed. And there are, th- I mean, there are things which you know. I had that experience and I talked about it when I, you know, when I talked about Sky and, and our experience and there were some aspects of that, which I, you know, I still feel a lot of guilt around and I still feel really uncomfortable about. And I think it does take a long time 
to forgive yourself, I guess, for the fact that, you know, you're going through this terrible thing and your body and your mind are in shock and, you know, you just you just don't know what you want and you're just kind of responding on autopilot a lot of the time. And, yeah, um, I think you do have to forgive yourself for that, but I also do think that's a really hard process and that can be a hard part of I think of um, I think I was, and it sounds stupid, but... I think I was just so afraid of falling more in love with her. Um, mm. But, you know, like I said, Kelly and Mary and and even the initial doctor that we saw, really, and, I, and, I've, and I've thanked them personally um, for this since, but, you know, they, they had no idea the impact um, of their care and love that they showed us um, in those early days. Um, that led us to have the confidence and um, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word courage but to you know to, to, to go on and have you know our third child um, they were they were an integral part mm-hmm. to kind of that process really and after um, Evelyn was born were you able to spend some time with her then in the hospital and obviously for Lindsay to kind of recover from the birth yeah they 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 were they made it really clear to us, you know, they said, you can stay here as long as you want. Um, we were fortunate that uh, we had a cold cot with, with Evelyn. Um, so, you know, whenever we wanted to see her, they, they brought her into, you know, we were in our room, she had her room. And whenever we wanted to see her, they would, they would bring her in. Um, we, you know, we woke up the next morning. We'd obviously had to make all the calls the next morning because, Mm. um you know people we were we were there we were right at the end we were 38 weeks pregnant um so you know when that was hard i think it it was hard telling people it was hard telling people but it was hard their initial reaction because you know i was phoning up friends who ordinarily i probably wouldn't have phoned unless i had news and um, they were obviously very excited, and they'd pick up the phone, and they'd almost be shouting congratulations down the phone before I've finished talking. And um, so, yeah, we woke up the next morning, made all of our calls, um, and we had uh, a little blessing done. Um, uh, the hospital chaplain came over and and, and did a, a blessing, and. Obviously, mine and Lindsay's thoughts then led to the fact that you know we've got to <clears throat> we've got to get home to to Yian and and explain that. Um, so we didn't stay in the hospital. You know, we were both kind of from a um, from a spiritual point of view, if you want. We were comfortable that Evelyn wasn't there. Um, that was just you know her body. So we, we, we left the hospital kind of the next day, um, came home and, um, you know, started preparing ourselves for having to explain to Yain that, you know, the baby wasn't coming home with us. And that must have been an incredibly difficult conversation. I guess you, you'd left him in, in someone's yeah, so, care while so, you'd gone so into So he hospital. was around Lindsay's parents' house. They, again, they live about five minutes away. And... Um, I remember we got home. Um, our neighbours saw us in the forecourt. They saw that we left. They'd heard us leave at like two o'clock in the morning, so they assumed that we'd we'd gone 
to the hospital to have the baby. Um, so we came home and they were out in the forecourt almost there, you know, screaming congratulations. And again, we had to kind of stop them in their paths and, and explain what had happened and, you know, said that Evelyn and her heart had stopped. Um, and then I think we had about an hour. Um, we, we we had longer, but we just wanted to be with Yian. Um, but I remember just being on the bed, just very matter of fact, kind of a process of Googling how to tell a toddler that a baby or a family members have died. Um, was he, was he around yeah, four? Yeah, so he, he would have been about four and a half Um Okay. So he was very aware. He was very excited. He was very excited to be a big brother. Um, you know, the room was ready. Everything was ready. Um, he uh, he knew that we were at the hospital, but I'd asked um, Lindsay's parents not to explain why. I, I wanted to um, tell him um, myself. And um, found a few resources online from various um, baby loss charities and kind of just tried to work out what was best for us and Yain. And, and Yain is, um, even now still, he's an old man, he is. And um, <laughs> so we we did explain to him, we did, you know, we said, we didn't, we were really careful on the words that we used because there was a lot of stuff online saying, mm-hmm. you know, maybe refrain from using the words sleeping and stuff like that we didn't want to then pass any kind of anxieties and stuff onto him and we reassured him that she was really healthy and well and there was no suffering and that kind of stuff um and we just told him we said look the baby's heart to stop beating and you know the baby isn't coming home with us um and it was by far the hardest conversation i've ever had to have with anybody um did he understand? Did, did, did he manage to he take did. his head off? Yeah, yeah he, he just cried. Like? I remember him, again, just really crying hard. <clears throat> um, Lindsay's family, um, they work in the funeral business. Um, Lindsay's mum's a celebrant, and so he's got a real clear idea of you know life and death and stuff like that. Um, and sadly mm-hmm. for his age, he, he knows a lot more about it than he should. So, yeah, he, he understood straight away. Um, he was heartbroken um, and then we brought him home with us and you know it's then dealing with a four year old with the most innocent questions in the world of him asking mm-hmm. questions that you just don't know how to answer you know there's no guidebook on how to um, explain to a child about grief and, and each family does it in their own way and, and, and that has to be right for them but we chose to be very honest but with that then came very very honest questions you know and I guess I mean I've spoken to I've spoken to parents who have lost babies when they have a living child and parents who've lost babies you know before they've had a living child and I think there are you know that there are challenges and difficulties either way because I guess in, in one sense you've got to keep going for him and in a way that gives you a bit of structure or you know something for your days but on the other on the flip side did you struggle with then having time and space both by yourself and with Lindsay to kind of come to terms with what has happened in grief we um we, we we said this um and we've said it 
for years. Like Jan has no idea, and he probably won't until he's older. He has no idea the uh, he saved us really because, like you say, we had to get up every day. We had to feed him and bath him and still do all of the things. And I remember the days were okay. You know, we would um, be busy and we would try and almost put on a bit of a front for him, I think. And, and to some extent that helped to some extent. Um, you obviously feel guilty for laughing and, and playing with your child and all of the guilt that comes with it. But I, I always remember <clears throat> almost dreading nighttime, like knowing that when he goes to bed at seven o'clock, that the house is going to go quiet again. And that's when, that's when you had, that's when we grieved a lot, I guess. Yeah. That's when it hits you. And did you have people who you could turn to for support? And also as a kind of second part to the question, did anyone or did people generally treat you differently because you were Evelyn's father and not her mother? Um, yeah, yeah, like the, so we had, we had, we did, we had, we had good people around us. We've got, got a really close network of friends um, and both of our families as well were, you know, very supportive, um, listened to us when we were having our breakdowns and explain, you know, sometimes it would be over nothing. Sometimes a, a song might come on the radio or, you know, we'd be in a park and somebody, somebody's other child might be called Evelyn or something like that. Um, and everyone was really supportive, really, really supportive. So from that side of things, you know, we had, we had some good people around us. And, yeah, I I think people did look at me differently, um, say, to Lynn's. Like when when I started taking Yain back to school, um, there used to be very much questions of, oh, how's Lynn's doing and, you know, and of course, you know, and, and rightfully as well, they, you know, had concern for her. Um, but there was only one or two that kind of pulled me to side and was like, oh, how are you doing? Um, but again, I think that's, <clears throat> I think that's just a society thing. I think we've probably all been guilty of it over the past. Um, you know, we see it's mm-hmm. the mum, you know, the mum has that bond and, and that connection and has to go through all of all of the bits that she goes through in terms of the pregnancy um but i i certainly think there was an element of people failing to realize that i was really struggling too and and i think that that that's kind of twofold i think it's a society thing but also i think it's a you know it's a man thing as well you know we 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 carry ourselves maybe in a way like we're fine and so therefore people just think that you are um as you've seen already today <laughs> i'm an emotional wreck at the best of times um so you know, I think it was very clear to people from my side of things, you know, I, again, even from friends that I would say outside of our normal tier um, were very supportive for me because when they would say, oh, how's Lynn's doing or how's this, how's things at home and stuff like that, I would, I would obviously be emotional and, and, but they would still support me. But I think initially, yes, the, 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 the focus would very much be on Lynn's. And I think one of the things that I think must be really hard is because when you know a mother gives birth and you know presuming it's after 24 weeks or whatever they get maternity leave and they're sort of there's more acceptance of them taking you know months off 
work and to come to terms with what has happened as well as the physical recovery but dads you know you're you have your maybe you have two weeks two weeks leave or some extra compassionate leave or whatever but then at some point you you have to go back to work when did you decide to return to work after Evelyn's death and how was your experience of that did it help you or did it make things harder um it definitely made things harder um because I had my own business at the time. Um, I had a business partner. We had staff. We had an office. Um, and my role within the company was a very um, central one to the type of services that we offered. So I was very conscious that, you know, the whole time that I was off, I was putting more strain on the people within the office and, and, and maybe those without my skill set as well. Um, and it and it just happened to happen that, probably our busiest time of year um so i had the pressure from myself to to get myself back to work um i think i took about just over two weeks off um but even when i even then when i went back to work it was you know we were busy we were really busy and i was doing kind of 60 70 hours um almost running soon as soon as i got back and i was worried about lynn's i was worried about her mental health um, I was still struggling to kind of comprehend everything that had happened. Um, I was busy at work, and yeah, it 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 really had a really negative impact on on me and my on my job. Um, kind of to the extent where, um, you know, I spoke to my business partner and I said, "Oh, look, I, I, I'm not sure how long I can do this for." Um, and I really fell out of love with with my job I'm a graphic designer and I have been for 20 odd years um but I'd really fallen out of love with it because I um I felt I was in a situation that I, I really didn't want to be in um so that was hard but I, yeah I think for a lot of dads you know they they have to go back to work and some of them might be employed so they you know they might get a little bit more grace um than others but yeah there is definitely uh, a pressure on on the dads to, to get back to work and you know carry on as normal to some extent. And I think particularly, you know, when you have your own business or you're self-employed, I mean, I, I'm self-employed and I felt that pressure, you know, after Sky died. And obviously, I mean, she, she was a lot earlier and, you know, literally I got out of hospital and the next day I was writing an article for a client because I felt like I had to deliver work for them. Yeah. And it's ridiculous when you look back on it. It's like, you know, your baby has just died. But I and and I really and I really struggled with yeah. hating what I was doing. And I think because I yeah. linked the two in my mind um, a bit. And I think I do almost feel I don't know if you feel the same, but. I almost feel that if I'd been employed by someone, then it almost would have been easier to have sort of gone to an office job because if I had a crap day, I could just blame them. If I didn't work as well, it was like, well, they're going to pay me anyway. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Um, whereas when it's something you've built, you know, a business you've built, which is close to your heart, sort of that falling out of love process is, is doubly difficult, Yeah, and isn't I remember it? being in, um, in a meeting um, with – so we used to do a lot of work third party just because of the, the, the industry that, that I work in. This was for an end client. And um, I remember being sat around a table with um, our contact and, and two of his bosses. Um, and I just got asked the question like, Oh, have you had the baby yet? Um, 
this is probably about four weeks after Evelyn had passed. Um, and I remember being in that meeting and I was thinking, I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer this. Um, and, I, and I broke down crying. I was crying in, in a, in a, in a meeting with two very senior businessmen and, and, uh, and a sales manager, um, and obviously they completely understood and they were like, oh, look, let's, let's reschedule this meeting. And I think we carried on, but it was one of them kind of awkward ones then. That, um, yeah. And there was a few of, there was a few moments like that because obviously, you know, they, they saw that I wasn't at work. Um, you know, they might've been ringing in to speak to me directly because I, I would again normally be their point of contact. Um. And I was just asking my business part of the time and, and the staff, look, if anyone rings and asks, just say that I'm not here. And if they push you on it, just say, oh, Nick's not here. Um, so obviously when I then went back, I then had all of the, the suppliers and the clients to answer to. And yeah, mm-hmm. really difficult. And, you know, I, I know my wife felt the same. She was she, she used to work um, for the University of Portsmouth. Um and she, a lot of her patients um, knew knew them as a team, and she was really scared about going back to work because, you know, of the constant "oh, you've been off," or therefore you must have had the baby, um, and and dealing with that is is tricky. Yeah, really tricky. And I know a lot of parents, and mostly mothers, I think, have found an outlet for their grief through perhaps blogging or connecting with other bereaved parents on platforms such as Instagram and Facebook. Do you feel that the same is true for fathers? And have you found an outlet of, of any sort of for your grief since Evelyn died? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, in in the early days, I, I received a lot of my, <clears throat> my support <clears throat> from from lost, other lost mums, um, you know, I attended a few support meetings. Generally, the the people who I was speaking to on on private Facebook groups were other mums. There weren't many dads um, talking on them, um, so a lot of the initial support that I had was was from other mums, and that made me think that maybe dads don't talk about these things. But you know, I, I was raised by. I was raised by women, um, effectively. So I've always felt very comfortable in, in kind of talking to women and, and also being very open about how my emotions and how I feel. Um, so yeah, I always just assumed that, yeah, you know, generally the, the dads just get on with it and they don't talk about these things. But, um, I then started, um, running, um, I use the word running loosely. Um, I took up running, um, to, to start raising, um, awareness and, and and fundraising um for some baby loss charities and um and then i met a few other you know whilst i was at various different runs i'd see someone wearing a sans vest um so i'd go over and i'd chat to him and suddenly i, I became friends with quite a few um dads who who, who took up running to, to you know to help with their mental health and even though i'm you know i'm, I'm happy to say i'm not a runner um, it was a huge, huge help um, in in my early recovery, um, and and certainly helping with my mental health even recently. Um, so yeah, I took up running, um, and back last year, um, March, February, March last year, I met with another lost dad, um, 
and we decided to set up a um, a football team purely made up of of dads um, who had lost. Um, we'd followed uh, we'd followed a suit of Rob who'd set up Sands United in North Hants. So we set up mm-hmm. Sands United Solent, um, and you know we've got nearly 50 dads in our support group. I think we've got about 35, 40 dads as part of the team. And I think that's just gone to show that actually dads do need that support and, and sometimes look for that support. And, and though they might not feel comfortable sitting in in a circle in chairs and in that kind of environment, um, they're certainly happy and, and wanting to talk about it in, in, a, in a less formal environment, should we say. Yeah, and I guess perhaps where something there's another focus as well to what you're doing, um, and I think you know I think maybe that's just you know the, one of the ways in which women and men as a as a vast generalisation are you know are different. And I know I've been to along to a few sense meetings, and and it is usually women. There's there's sometimes there's sometimes a few men who come along, um, and sometimes particularly you know if it's a new couple, but yeah. Um, but I think, and I've I've heard of the Suns um, United teams because I think there's quite a few yeah, of them I think across there's, the country there's, now. And... There's probably about thirty-five of us now across the country. Um, so you know, I think that 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 speaks volumes by itself. The fact that dads do want support and and are happy to talk about it and. You know, when we when we train or when we go to back to the pub afterwards or when we have a, a match on on Sunday, that's often not the environment where people do talk. But obviously, you you create a bond, um, friendships form, um, and then through that, you know, private messages through WhatsApp and um, even group conversations. Um, so there, there's definitely uh, a thirst for people to talk about their grief particularly dads, um, I suppose it's just them finding the feeling comfortable enough to be able to do it, you know, and, and, and building that trust up with somebody. Mm, and, and finding those other dads as well, finding that sort of connection yeah. network. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause know. even our local, um, our local uh, support groups, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I'd, I'd go as far to say probably 90, 95% of the audience are, are mums on there. Um, so, you know, to some extent, you know, we don't help ourselves because we don't put ourselves in, in in environments where we can talk about it. Um, but like you say, I think it's the informality of it that, that makes it a little easier to, to do so. Yeah. And I think there's just something, isn't there, about about having someone who, you know, has gone through a similar thing and, you know, you know, they get how you're feeling. And even even if you you know, don't need to verbalise it or talk about it that much. If you say you're having a bad day or, or a sad day or whatever, they they know what that experience is like. Yeah, I think, like, you know, even within my friendships, even though they have an understanding, or, or they, they've seen what I've been through. Um, it's difficult, though, for them to get a full understanding what I've been through, whereas some of the mm. friendships that I've formed through um, the football or through people that I've met um, online um, – they get it, uh, and that's the only way I can. You know, it, it's it's hard to explain. You know, I've lo- I've lost family members. I, I lost my auntie; she was very young. I lost my granddad, who was quite young. And obviously, I, I grieved and I was heartbroken. And you kind of get not get over it, but you, it's it's part of life, and and you you can deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I do think of them. Um, 
but I've got memories to think about, you know, that brings me happiness. Whereas with Evelyn, you know, even four years on, you know, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. The fact that my daughter died. Um, and I think that's, that's strange for people, you know, that's strange for people who haven't gone through it because maybe they make comparisons of when they've lost family members. Um, and people think that, you know, four years on, I should be okay or f- be better. I can talk about her better. I, I, and, I, and I think about her with a, a lot more lightness in my heart, but I'm, I'm, I'm not okay with it. Um, and I, and I, and I don't think you ever are like we, we've, um, we, we've got two birthdays on our team today. Uh, two of the, two of the dads have, have their birthdays. And, and one of them, you know, 20 years, 20 years ago, he lost his, his two children. And I've been messaging him this week and, you know, it's it, it, it's not it's not easy for him, um, and I think that's a strange thing that people don't get. So, like you say, when, with people on the team or people who I've met running who have lost and they get it, it just makes things. It really solidifies a relationship, I think. And one of the other things you've done, which I noticed on your Instagram page, was you ran the Great South Run with an empty pushchair with Evelyn's yeah. name in it. Could you? talk about what made you decide to do that and some of the reactions you got from people along the way yeah um there, there was a gentleman in, in australia actually um who who I've, who I've since connected with um so he he ran the he he's an ironman um competitor so he properly runs um and he he did the um an Australian marathon um, after he lost his his son um, with an empty pushchair, and I just thought it was such a powerful, powerful statement. Um, and one of the things, you know, I've always said, you know, yes, fundraising fundraising is important for these charities to exist to support new families, but for me, as much of it is about awareness and for people to realise that this happens. So I'd already planned on running the, the Great South Run. I'd, I'd run the previous year in um, like an orange morph suit and um, I had babies' names embroidered on this cape that I wore, um, which which we then, after the race, we, we cut up and, and we, we were able to, to send those to the people um, that, we, that were embroidered, their babies' names were embroidered on. So that for the second year... I thought, yeah, I'll run with it with the empty pram, um, the empty push chair. And I knew physically it was going to be hard, but I hadn't prepared myself for how hard it would be mentally and emotionally. Um, and the, the general, you know, I think when people saw the vest that I was running and I had sans, sans vest on when, when people saw that and they saw the flag that was on, on the, on the push chair, a lot of people who had sadly heard of the charity kind of made the connection. And there was a lot of kind of, Oh, you know, that kind of stuff from the sidelines, but mm-hmm. there was a, there was also a few. And I remember one really well, there was, I was running just past Reese hall, which is, which is one of the student blocks in Portsmouth. Um, and there was a guy on a, on a megaphone, so everyone else who had been, everyone else had been shouting stuff. So other people had been like, "Oh, excuse me, mate, you've lost your baby." And mm. I just kept on running, and I kept on running, and and I, I was trying not to mentally let myself let it get to me. And um, 
I remember getting to Reese Hall and there was this guy with a megaphone. So he saw me coming from ages away and I heard him through the microphone. Oh, mate, I think you mi- you're, you're missing something. And I, and I felt I felt angry. I felt really angry. And then by the time I got to him, he, he, he shouted on the megaphone, mate, mate, excuse me, you're missing something. And I was like, yeah, my, my daughter, my daughter, she's dead. And I kept on running. And I remember looking back and him kind of his head tilting to one side where he'd realized what had happened. Um, and there was a few of those that, that was really hard, but I remember it was, it was, it was coming up to the finishing line. I was, I was, I was on my knees. I couldn't, I was, I was struggling. I was really struggling. And um, there was a, a woman running alongside me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she was like, excuse me, you've, uh, you've lost something. And I, I was like thinking to myself, just keep running, just keep running, just keep running. I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. And she, she tapped me on the shoulder again. She went, excuse me. And I looked over at her and she said, you, you seem to have lost something. And I went, yeah, I've lost my daughter. That's why I'm running. And again, the penny dropped. And I remember getting over the finish line. And I was, I was in, I was in, I was a mess. I was emotional. I was, I was glad to have finished. I was sad to have finished. And this woman came over to me and she was like, I'm so sorry. I've just realized, I've just realized what you've meant. Um, and she was like, I'm really, really sorry. Like I'll live with this for the rest of my life. And I was like, look, it, you don't beat yourself up over it. You didn't mean it. You you didn't think you didn't know the reason why I'm doing this is, is to raise awareness that this happens and hopefully you'll take something from it now. And God forbid, if you ever, if anyone you know needs this support, you know that these charities exist. Um, so it was really, really mentally hard. It was physically hard as well because I'm, I'm, I shouldn't have even been running, probably. But mentally, it was, it was, it was really difficult. Um, just from the, the comments from the sideline. But again, you know, people wouldn't weren't didn't mean it. If 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 they'd realised, they wouldn't have said anything. But that's why I was doing it for people to stop and think about what they say. Um, I can't imagine how just hearing you talk about it how emotionally difficult that must have been for you and and even just the practicalities of keeping going because I remember I did a a half marathon a few months ago which we raised money for Tommy's and when I was training for that sometimes I would you know I'd be thinking about Sky and wearing the Tommy's vest and things and I'd I'd literally I'd choke up and I couldn't you know I couldn't breathe and if you can't breathe you can't keep running and to have that and all those people kind of every step of the way but it's such a such a powerful symbol I think and those people who you spoke to and that you know that guy who you know had the megaphone he is never gonna forget that as long as he lives and you know we've me and Linz have spoken about it privately and you know I I felt bad in pulling them up on it effectively because they they didn't know um I think generally there's there's a, there's a bigger there's a bigger message in it in that I think far too much we we all make assumptions and we all say things that we probably shouldn't um, like you know and and so you know just normal questions but um, it was the fact that yeah for something it was something so personal to me and I probably shouldn't have reacted in in the way that I did but yeah. 
No, and I think I think you're very right. I think there's, you know, we all have these moments in life, and we all have moments where we say the wrong thing and we don't don't mean to. And I think certainly, sort of going through this baby loss journey for me has made me realise that a lot of the time, you know, people mm. have stuff going on in their mm. lives which you don't know about, you know, and if they're snapping or at you for some reason one day, you know, you don't know what the reason is behind that I mean sure they might just be you know annoyed at you or whatever but actually what happened that morning or the previous night or you know five years ago or 10 years ago that that's caused them to kind of behave like that and I do it doesn't always I don't know you still maybe act the wrong way and I know I do a lot of the time but I think generally it's made me a bit more empathetic as to you know an understanding I think what other people are perhaps 100 and like I said earlier on Evelyn has made me a you know I wasn't a bad person before, but she's made me a, a really good person. And, and I do think about other people far more than I used to. And I am a lot more emphatic. And, you know, I'll, I, I could be sat in a restaurant, obviously not at the moment, but um, I could be sat in a restaurant and I could <laughs> see somebody crying. And I'll, 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 I'll cry because I'm thinking, what, what are you going through in your life right now that's so sad that you're crying in public? Um, and that's the thing we, 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 we you know, I, he, he, there's a there's a, there's a gentleman in, in Mort Louisville and where I live and he's a homeless guy and in the past I've probably walked by him a hundred times I'll say hi if he says hi and stuff like that but you know I'll, I'll I'll where I can I'll make sure I can give him something now and or I'll go to the shop and I'll buy him a coffee and I'll buy him a sandwich or something like that and it's just little things um but I think even generally you know one of the things that I think is hard um, when you've lost a little one is 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 the strangers questions when you're out because um, nothing can prepare you for them and mm-hmm. again just normal questions you know when especially when they saw me with the eye and if I was in the park or something like that and they'd be like oh is he, is he your only child and it, I remember in the early days feeling quite guilty because I wasn't I didn't feel capable of answering questions so sometimes I used to just go yeah and then walk off or sometimes I just didn't even answer I just filled it with a kind of a politician's answer and just didn't even answer the question um and it's taken me it took me a while actually to to kind of master how to, how to how to explain to people what I've been through but without making them feel bad either because they're just asking a normal question um yeah yeah, it, it's hard. And just before we finish, I wanted to just touch on um, your second daughter, Iola. And what was your experience as a dad of pregnancy after loss? And also, how did it affect your son? Yeah, pregnancy after loss. It, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, we we were we were a wreck. Basically, we were nervous. We were scared. All, all the time, every day. Um, for the last three months of the pregnancy, um, QA Hospital, our, our local hospital here, we were really lucky. We, we, we requested the same midwife. We requested the same specialist, the, the, um, the doctors that we were dealing with. Um, so we were, we were lucky from that point of view. We just didn't feel as if we could go through new conversations every time we saw a doctor. Um, but yeah, for the last three months, we were in the hospital every morning, um, eight o'clock having a CTG. Um, and I remember 
the very first time we went in and it was it wasn't a scheduled one um we we'd had a bit of a scare lynn's thought that she'd had lack of movement but she wasn't sure but it was just that anxiety and we went in and they took us into the same room that we were in with evelyn um same bed um and that really scared us i remember us on the way to the hospital thinking what if um and it was a really scary moment to go back into that room but actually what we realized is that over the next three months it was going to become the place where we felt the safest um so we had yeah we had daily ctgs sometimes we had two you know if Lindsay had had one in the morning and then come three four o'clock you know she'd have a bit of a wobble we'd be back down there and they had an open door policy with us they couldn't they could we couldn't have paid for better care um and i know that's not always the case sadly with with people who have who have either suffered loss or are going through pregnancy um it was it was hard though we 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 didn't tell anybody we didn't announce we didn't see people we stayed at home we made our excuses to our friends who were like oh can we see you and you know we were pregnant over the summer as well so everyone was out and about and we just stayed at home we didn't see anybody at all um we didn't actually tell Yayan that we were pregnant until we were six and a half months we'd managed well, what we thought we had we thought we had managed to keep it secret um but um when we told him he was like oh, i know um which surprised us because we thought we'd done a really good job of hiding it, but clearly not. Um, and it was hard because he then had questions and being, you know, he would have been five, five and a half, five and a half. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's very little filter on them and he used to say stuff like, you know, is this baby going to die too? And we were like, no, the doctors are looking after. We Actually, we never said no. We never said yes or no. We just, I remember us just saying to him, the doctors are taking really good care of us. Because we didn't want to say to him, we didn't know. We didn't know. Um, mm. So we just used to reassure him that the doctors are looking after us and that they're, they're, you know, seeing us every day and just reassurance, reassurance, reassurance. Um, but, yeah, we kept, it, we kept it so secret that some of our friends only found out that we were pregnant when we rang them to announce that we'd had the baby. Um which was a huge shock, obviously, to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was really tough. But like I said, you know, I, I'm conscious that not everybody um, goes on to have pregnancy after they've lost. Um, so we're really, really grateful. I don't want it to sound as if we're mourning, but yeah, it was it was it was tough. And you have a lot, of, you you know, you have a lot stripped away from you. It's not a not a happy celebrate or it wasn't for us anyway it wasn't a celebratory moment or or anything like that and we didn't decorate the room we didn't we didn't build a cot we didn't buy i remember us going to toys r us to buy a push chair and um it was on evelyn's birthday it was on evelyn's birthday and we decided that we were going to go and buy a push chair and i don't know what we were thinking i don't know if it was kind of some kind of like mental strategy that our bodies were just trying to protect us and keep us busy but or something i don't know and i remember going to toys r us and the woman was really good and she was really helpful and everything and i remember us going back in the evening to collect it because it it wouldn't fit in Lindsay's car 
and the the woman was saying, "Oh, sh- should I get rid of the boxes for you? Just normal, you know, something that any." I went into a panic. I went into absolute blind panic, and I said to her, oh, but, "Um, you can take the boxes." I said, "But what if I need to bring it back?" And she was like, "Why? Why do you need to bring it back? Do you not like it?" I said, "No, no, we love it. We really love it." Um, but what if I need to bring it back for some reason? She was like, well, you're not going to need to bring it. If you like it, you're not going to need to bring it back, are you? And I, I remember just saying to her, look, our daughter died. Our, 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 our baby daughter the last year died. Um, and I'm worried that it's going to happen again. And she was so lovely. But again, it's it's just things, thoughts and conversations that you don't think you ever have to have with somebody. Um have to happen and you know it's hard to prepare yourself for it mm. and yeah that you know you know first time around pregnant or you know most people that thought would not even have crossed their mind or gone through her head you know 99% of the people she gets through the door and and talks to about that um fantastic we're, we're about out of time but I wanted to ask you one sort of final question and that's if there's a newly bereaved father yeah. listening to this what would you like to tell them um you, you you're genuinely you're genuinely not alone um and <clears throat> one of the things that I've learned from all of the dads that I've come in contact with without exception as well all of the dads is that there's almost it's almost like a rite of passage, I guess. We're 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 a bit further down the line than where they are right now, um, and we genuinely are there to kind of help and support and 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 act as an arm to put around them or, or a shoulder to cry on, even. Um, so ne- don't ever be afraid to reach out. Um, there's there's a multitude of different support networks from like you say Tommy's Sands. There's many others on online. Um, there's lots of different Facebook groups, and and I can say that from all of the ones that I've been part of, all of the various groups, and they they all come from different charities, private charities, small charities, large charities. All of the dads have been so welcoming and and caring and supportive. So don't don't ever kind of suffer in silence, um, and know that there's people that you can reach out to. Brilliant. Thank you. And do you want to tell people where they can find you and connect with you online? um, You can um, find me personally on Instagram, um, uh, Diary of a Lost Dad. um, And you can also find me on Facebook as well. Um, If you want to drop me a private message um, on Facebook, you can find me under Nick Lang. Um, And equally, if there are any dads out there that know just want to get involved in some sport or activities look out for your local um sans united football teams um and you'll be welcomed with open arms fantastic thank you so much for sharing evelyn's story with us today and it's been no, wonderful thank you thanks for your time you. thank you for listening to this episode of footprints on our hearts please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on itunes You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.